It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado, taking your calls and your questions this afternoon in studio with us today to help with some of the calls is Pastor Keegan Withers. Welcome, Keegan. Hey, good to be here. And we're going to be doing the show together. Pastor Keegan is our junior high middle school pastor here, as well as overseer of many things and uh, serving the Lord. Uh, how long have you been? It's been about a year and a half. I've actually been here two years. Two years. What was the what was the month and Time flies. Time flies. I missed a whole six months somewhere. <laughs> 303-690-3000 is the number. We're going to uh, talk just a little bit while we're waiting for some calls to come in. Uh, the way to get on the on the show is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Uh, that is how to get online. Uh, on the air, I should say. And then if you want to connect with us by text, we fill in the time with text messages. We have a dedicated line for texting, 720-336-0897. is the number to dial. And texting is 720-336-0897. So give us a call. Join us online. Uh, if you're listening on Grace FM, if you're listening on Grace FM, you're listening to this broadcast live, unless it says uh, Encore at the beginning. This is a live broadcast, and if you're on the East Coast, if you're on the East Coast, then you're listening to this one-week delay. But if you're listening on Hope FM, you can call during the program, and you'll get on the air uh, for today's show, and then you'll hear yourself on the air next week. Uh, so you got a one-week delay, but you can call and be on the air live and join us that way. So we got a couple open lines, or they're being processed right now. 303-690-3000 is the number. Give us a call. Let's be online. Pastor Keegan Withers is in studio with us, uh, and we're taking our, your calls and your questions. So let's just go right to the phone lines. In Aurora, Colorado, Noel is on the air. Noel, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Good to have you. Uh, so I wanted to know, how would you explain the glory of God? I see it over and over again as far as God's glory and for God's glory. How do I best describe the glory of God to my children? That's a great question. How old are your kids? They're 15, 13, and my daughter's 10. Well, then they could probably all receive the same answer. Uh, they're okay. about in that same uh, genre. Um, when I think of the glory of God, I think of the Hebrew. It comes to us from the Hebrew uh, context, the, the Shekinah, or the very eminence oh. of God. Um, the idea behind that would be the, 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 the beauty, the wonder, not, not, like an, not, not like a material beauty, but the wonder of, of who God is, uh, the brightness of him, uh, the, you know, I'm trying to think in my mind what would be a good uh, illustration of that. You know, the, um, 
while I'm thinking, Keegan, what, what, Moses, what are some thoughts you have? Like when Moses walked, when he said he wanted to see his glory, or yes. he got a portion of his glory. So that's why I thought it had to do with light, because um, because Moses' face shone after he just saw a portion of God's glory. Yes. Okay. What do you think, Keegan? Uh, of that you know light is 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 a great example when when we think of the glory of god and you know let your light what did jesus say let your light so shine um, right you know that you may um you know that your father may be glorified i see yeah because i've seen scriptures where it says from glory glory to glory and i just wondered if it only dealt with light but it's god's essential like his essence it's his essence. It's it, yeah. you know that worry that that word in different contexts um, oh, okay. draws out so many different aspects of who God is, how we respond to who God is, uh, what the glory is in in His presence, what the glory is in His will, uh, what the. Uh, it, as a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter forty-two, uh, verse eight, it says, "Let me get to it real quick." Here it says, "I am the Lord." <clears throat> that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. You know, and that, that's his very essence. So you, you get the picture of the distinction between who God is in his glorious nature and who is a little idol, a little wooden idol that has nothing, right. no glory, no nothing. So how do you, so the real question is, how do you explain it to your kids? Mm-hmm. And the not only do you give the big not only do I think we give that big essence answer to them as is, um, but I think I do also want to draw out to them the difference between who God is and, and who we are and the difference between, you know, the, the, the glory of God and maybe right. the glory of a human being, you know, like, like for example, <clears throat> as I'm thinking out loud or thinking in my mind, there, there's something glorious about the revelation of a bride to her to her groom. You know, we make a big deal about that in the services here. Uh, when we do a marriage ceremony here, uh, we have everyone come in, sit down, the music, there's all, all sorts of, of, uh, uh, pomp and circumstance. And then, then everything dies down. The doors are closed. They're cut, they're covered. And, and then there's the big reveal. Right. And ladies and gentlemen, please stand because here comes the bride. And there is something about, the glory of the bride. All eyes are on her. No other woman in the room matters. No, everybody's everybody's caught up in the in the ceremony, caught up in her presence. Uh, the focus is on her, and 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 you know you take something like that in the human realm, 
and you multiply it by a million times a million, and you have the glory of God and who he is and how his eminence reigns. And, and yeah, there's that glory of his, um, of his presence, but like Isaiah 42 verse 8 speaks of, uh, it's, it's not just a protection of his presence, but it's also a protection of his es- essence of who he is. Um, and so there's quite a bit of depth to that. If you email me, I'll send you a little article I found uh, on gotquestions.org. It really helps to give different aspects to it. Yeah, that, that's great. Because I, when I, I moved, I relocated here from uh, Atlanta in July, and I came to the mountains the first time, and I literally wept because I was overwhelmed by the beauty and the majesty of, of the mountains that I gave, that I gave him praise. And it's like this is like he spoke this, and so I thought of like if of, of his glory of, of of his glory even in that of how his creation makes me just essentially bow down and and be in awe. In fact, I, I remember saying, Lord, may I never lose the wonder, because seeing that, I had never seen anything like that. Yeah, it's, it's majestic. Yes. That's another word to describe it. Well, thanks for your call. All right, thank you. God bless you. Have Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. One line open. Grab it while you can. This is Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor in studio with Keegan. Withers, we're taking your calls together, and we're going to move right on to line number three. Is Tyler calling from Denver, Colorado? Tyler, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. How how are you? Great. I have a question about um, in Mark chapter thirteen, and then uh, in Daniel, it talks about the abomination of desolation, and then the the seventy weeks of Daniel. I just want to to ask if you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, you know, the abomination of desolation uh, is, is an important event in prophetic history. You know, when Jesus mentions it in Matthew uh, chapter 24, um, there, ha- there was an event that already took place about 200 years prior. Um, that's when Antiochus Epiphanes set up an altar to Zeus uh, over the altar of burnt offerings in the Jewish temple, and he sacrificed a pig there. So by the time Jesus is speaking of it uh, in Matthew's Gospel, he's actually prophesying to an event that's still yet to come um, that I believe will uh, be the Antichrist coming in, and according to Revelation, um, setting up some kind of image and making everyone bow down to it in the temple or in the temple area. So is, is the temple still there in Jerusalem? It is not. It's uh, the Temple Mount is one of the hot, most hotly contested pieces of real estate in the world uh, that is currently controlled by the Jordanian government uh, and is 99% Islamic controlled. They they really frown on Jews walking on the Temple Mount. They're really even protective of believers and tourists walking on the Temple Mount. But you have that that uh, when we stand when I, when we do a tour, <clears throat> we we rent this backyard of a of a family that's overlooking. Um, that's overlooking the Temple Mount area and the large golden dome. And that is the hotly contested area because in order for the temple to be rebuilt, we know for sure it's got to be on the Temple Mount. Um, it, it's in one of two places, uh, just to the side of that big dome, or some believe that dome needs to be destroyed and the temple be rebuilt because they believe the dome is right over the Ark of the Covenant, somewhere buried under. <clears throat> and... 
Uh, and so the, the, third, the, the last temple has still yet to be rebuilt, but it's prophesied that it will be. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but with, with prophecy in the Bible um, from a pre-trip perspective, um, the rapture won't happen until that event happens, or does that event happen after the rapture of the church? Yeah, it could be either. It could be either. It could be you could see the starting of the rebuilding of the temple. Um, you can be either. Then um, it it really the timing of that is is up for for debate on whether the temple will re- be rebuilt or not, or even the the construction of the temple will rebuilt be rebuilt or not. It seems that the one of the keys uh, that's important for the rapture is <clears throat> the revelation of uh, the revelation of who. The Antichrist is, um, but there's those are issues that are debatable. And then, uh, how do the seventy weeks of Daniel fit into Well, the seventy weeks of Daniel are prescribed in Daniel chapter nine, and there's a last seven seven week period that's yet to be fulfilled. Uh, that's a seven year that, that we believe refers to Jacob's trouble or the or the 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 seven-year tribulation period that's described for us in Revelation, um, the primary but views... Those two, the, those two aren't connected at all? No, they're very much connected. The 70th week of Daniel is the seven weeks of... Uh, is the last seven years of human history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. Great questions. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number. Taking your calls and your questions. Uh, let's move on to Caesar's calling from Denver, Colorado, with a question on Leviticus seventeen. Caesar, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Hey. My question. My question is this: Leviticus seventeen eleven, the last part, the last part of that sentence, and it talks about blood and then life. Okay. What's your question? That Jesus. Pardon me? Are they talking about Jesus, the blood of the life blood? Could, could you read it to me? Yeah, verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Oh, mine says different. Okay. I'm reading from the New King James. What are you reading from? Uh... I think the NIV 11, it's the last part of it goes uh, that I have, which is, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Uh, in verse 11, I have the NIV. It says, For the life of a creature is in its blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. For one's life. Okay. Okay. That's all I need to hear. Okay, great. Thank you, Pastor. All right, all right. I have one more thing to say. Okay. Um, it's kind of like all the other, like, ours is not a religion. It's a love, you know, a relationship. Um, but all the other religions, it's funny, they they were living their religion and writing it as they were living it. But Jesus came. The law was there. The Word of God was there before he came, and then he lived it. That was all, he, that's only one. Yes. Look, thank you, Pastor. All right. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. We have Keegan Withers in studio with us. He'll be also taking some calls as they come through. Uh, let me see if 
we are we have open lines so give me a call 303-690-3000 so keegan while we're waiting for a call to come in uh since the primary responsibility you have is to, to serve and minister to middle schoolers and their parents what's one of the trends you see lately uh, ministering to to the kids positive or negative what what do you see uh in light of ministry that you oversee yeah well, what, one of the main things i see um, with the kids, I mean, and I think it's it's something that's been probably constant since even I was a teenager. But it's really this, um, you know, this call for the for attention. It's you know one of the the big things that's trending these days is really the uh, you know the LGBT kind mm-hmm. of movement. Um, you know, really struggling with identity. Um, I, I see identity as a big one. Is who am I? Um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, and even sexuality being something that has been placed as like this is who I am. Yes. A- you know, and I think uh, we, you know, we do uh, questions and answers uh, periodically in the junior high, and I think that question always comes up of either how do I, uh, how do I help one of my friends who's like this, or I am like this, and you know, how do I, you know, what do I do with that, and. Um, so that's that's probably you know when I say trend or when you would say trend that that's something that that jumps out right away. You also mentioned um, getting attention is is cutting is cutting still an issue that's coming up at at, a, at this young age or or we moving into high school where you see more of that. Yeah, I, I'm seeing it personally less and less, which is good. It is um, good. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not as you know that that again when I was in high school was was pretty mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, prevalent then, but. I you know personally I haven't um, I haven't had a lot of that recently uh, within really the last over a year. And so so w- let let's talk a little bit about the identity because Christian parents are listening right now. Um, we want to we want to I'm sure their kids are listening too. So let's be sensitive to uh, the fact that maybe younger kids are listening. But h- how does a parent help uh, instill? a godly biblical identity in their kids knowing especially if their kids are in the public school knowing that not only is the education system um, going to begin to undermine that identity but then the their peers and and all the stuff they're dealing with on the playground is going to undermine that identity uh, and and of course having to deal with their own feelings especially at the age you're, you're serving with um, puberty and the change in hormones what what, what are some things that Let's say I was a parent, I'm in your office, and I'm saying just what you described, my child's going through this identity crisis, influenced by their friends, what do I do, or what are some steps to take? You know, the, the key thing is, who am I in Christ? So, so who, who, who am I in Christ? That, that's, that's really the, what I would want to instill. Okay. And, and, and when you think about who am I in Christ, how do I figure that out? I've got to be, Jesus says in John 15, if you abide in my word, uh, let me let me pull it up so I don't misquote it here. But John 15, it's John 15, verse seven uh, is one of the key things um, that I would think of with this question. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be and it shall be done for you. And, and really this this thought of abiding, um, you know, if I'm going to f- find out who I am in Christ, I, you know, I need to be abiding in, and in his word, uh, is, is very key. So establishing devotion life is something that I see kids really struggle with and adults for that matter, right. but establishing that time of, of being in the word. And I, I think that God's word oftentimes for, for our youth, it scares them 
that, well, I don't understand it. And so I'll start reading, and then I get to a place where I don't understand, so I just close it. And, and, and I think that's, you know, just encouraging them um, to continue uh, to you know to write those questions down right uh, you know ask ask a parent ask a leader uh, you know and to and really to to press forward in a, in that abiding relationship because Jesus will show you uh, who you are in him and I know that that's a, that's a battle I think all of us deal with to some degree is who am I and uh, and who who are we in Christ is the better question and I I think if if uh, some if a parent was to ask me I would add to what you're saying is that the primary the primary discipler of children is the parent. Yes. Uh, you, they, there, there can't be an expectation and a burden placed on you or Pastor Joel and the, your team and Pastor Joel with the high school and his team to be the primary disciplers. What do we get? 90 minutes, maybe right. two hours uh, on, a week, on a weeknight or maybe two hours because we, we still have uh, youth ministries at all services. So we don't just do one night a week. We at least get two opportunities with the kids <clears throat> and then other various events and and I think it begins with the parents uh, being taking the role as a primary discipler, or uh, maybe you're not familiar with the d- word discipler, then the primary teacher of your kids. And so if we want to instill something in our kids, then we want to make sure it's instilled in our lives first. If we, we want, if we want to teach our kids what, I, what their identity is, then we need to understand what the identity is too. And if we want to show them uh, what it what it means or what it looks like to, to have a devotional life, then we have to have a devotional life. And and it starts with us. And I know parents, you you might feel inadequate. Uh, you're listening in right now. There's a couple feelings that might come up because, you know, we, we, we see this with, uh, I guess you could use the term church kids. Um, we have a lot of kids that don't come to church here. Their parents drop them off, which is great. Drop your kids off. Uh, we'll serve them and love them. Uh, but whether they're from... Uh, from the kids from the community or their church kids, uh, you might be uh, in the middle of this right now and then feeling inadequate of how how am I supposed to help my kids? If you email me, uh, email me uh, anytime during the week or just remind me of this this particular offer, I will respond to your email uh, with a packet that you can print out mm-hmm. and you can start going out with you. You can start going uh, right to the Bible about yes. 10 minutes a day, probably not. You could go as long as you want, but it'd probably take about 10 minutes a day to talk about the things of God with your kids um, daily for, I think it's a three-month thing. Uh, all it's going to cost is the amount that it takes to print it, uh, two copies for your kids, and if you email me and say, hey, give me that discipleship packet. Now, of course, it's not just for parents. It's a general, um, it's a general tool that we use here, but uh, you need to know and be confident in who God is and grow in that because even, you know, there's some families here that have done, and and I want to speak to that just for a second too, as the lines have filled up again, but I want to speak to parents who have raised their kids in the ways of the Lord and their kids still went off the rails Mm -hmm. and they're right there. They're still, you know, what, what we would call a prodigal and you, you don't take, we cannot take responsibility for the free will decisions our kids make. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can help, you know, we can certainly help, by pointing them to the Lord, and we can help by discipling them, um, but then we, um, but we, we then we, we then and all along the way trust our kids to the Lord, and uh, you know the that that God has great plans uh, in in store for for your kids, but don't give up on them, 
And identity is a real key thing, especially as identities are being undermined, whether it's your identity uh, of who you are uh, to express yourself or your identity in Christ uh, and how that affects the other parts of your life. And, um, you know, email me. I'll send you stuff. I think you really nailed it, too, on that thought of, you know, really what we, you know, the best. I mean, not all we can do. Of course, you know, God can do anything, but you know, what we do in the in the youth ministry is really s- should be supplemental to what's already being trained, you know, within the home. And um, yeah, so it's just really in letting their faith be their own. This is a great age that they the kids learn that it's this is my faith. It's not yeah. my parents faith. Um, and every kid comes to it. Your kids are still y- little young, Keegan. Yes. But as they grow, um, as we've raised our kids, each one of them came to a point where it had to be their own. Yes. Uh, and and it's it's for every kid goes through it. It's a transitional um to own it and to to say and and they wrestle too so it's not just automatic uh, there's a wrestling uh, and a coming to terms with the reality of the way they were raised all the different input that they received uh, but God is faithful and he'll he will honor all the seeds that we planted in our kids Amen. 303-690-3000 let's see we're going to take a question on baptism from David in Denver Colorado David welcome to the program Thanks, Pastor Ed. First of all, thank you for your show and for your heart and compassion for the lost and the, and the hurting people. I appreciate it. Great. Um, What's your question? W- uh, so um, I've heard it preached, uh, and I've, I've seen churches around that are, are questioning whether or not they do a water baptism. I mean, I've always learned that, you know, the Great Commission says, you know, make disciples and baptize them. And then there's also a scripture that says there is only one baptism, that there is one baptism. Uh, and I've been told that this confuses people when you try to do a water baptism because the Scripture says that there's only one baptism, and once you have the Holy Spirit, that is the baptism. Thoughts on that? Well, uh, hi, David. This is Pastor Keegan. And, you know, when you think of, of baptism, uh, you know, when you, and, and there's really two baptisms that the Bible speaks of. There's the, you know, water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, are you speaking more in, in lines with with water baptism it sounds like and uh and and i guess with your question david is this something that for you personally is this something that you're uh that you're you're talking with somebody about that's considering baptism i guess maybe a little bit more on your question um, actually no i mean i, I was baptized as, as a youth um uh-huh. And I was, you know, I brought up the, the Great Commission, you know, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, that, that deal. So I, I was always, water baptism was always a big part of my faith and my walk and my family. Um, I have a friend who goes to a church now whose pastor will not baptize. They don't do a water baptism. And he says that that is the reasoning, is that the, the Bible says that there's one baptism, and you would just cause confusion for people by water well, baptizing them well, again. Well, well, and what you see, I mean, with, uh, you know, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, that's you see throughout Scripture, that was the, the, one of the first things that they would do. They would, you know, you think of Acts chapter, in, in Acts chapter 8, when, um, you know, the, the, you know, and he came across the, the Ethiopian there, it was uh, Philip, I believe. He, he came across the Ethiopian, and he came to, to faith in Christ, and the first thing was, was baptism. So water baptism is a, is a necessary step of obedience. Now, of course, it's not, uh, you know, our salvation is not, dependent upon it but it's uh you know baptism is something that was that jesus said yes go and baptize right in the name of the father son and holy spirit that you know go as you would make those disciples uh you know so baptism is is important and that's an important step of obedience you know for us to identify 
uh, with Christ through his death and with the resurrection. That's truly this outward, uh, you know, us outwardly proclaiming, uh, you know, obedience to Christ. Hey, David, I'll tell you what, we're coming up on a break. So let's let's come back and we'll tie this question together uh, right after the break. Okay. Okay, thank you're, you. You're listening to Calvary Live. Pastor Keegan Withers is in studio with us today. My name is Ed Taylor. We're taking your calls and your questions, especially you guys on the East Coast. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 303-690-3000 works all around the uh, country. You can call at any time, even if you're listening online. And we've got half of the show left. It's how fast the show went by. Already halfway done. We'll be right back. We'll got one open line in just a moment so give us a call we'll be right back welcome back to calvary live call us with your questions about life the bible and living in jesus right now at 303-690-3000 Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Calvary Live. Glad you joined us. 303-690-3000 on this edition. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor here at Calvary in Aurora. Pastor Keegan Withers is in studio. He's a pastor here at Calvary Aurora. Welcome again, Keegan. Hello. And Keegan was just answering a question and did a great job describing the nuances of water baptism. And I just wanted to add, because we've got a text question that's following up on that. David, are you still with us? I am. So I want to go back, because you made the the distinction between water baptism. First of all, any church that refuses to baptize in water is not obeying the Scriptures. That's unequivocal. Uh, Jesus gave the command to baptize. It is um, Jesus himself was baptized. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. It is the outward sign of the inward work. It's the identification that we have in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in water, fully submerged, coming up out of the water. It's practiced in the New Testament. It's practiced in the book of Acts. Uh, it is taught on in the epistles. It is a one of the few ordinances that carries over into every believer's life. Every believer must be baptized. And then you brought out Ephesians chapter 4, verse, verse 4, where it says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Um, now, if one, if a person takes verse five, one baptism, and and out of that text somehow comes to the conclusion that they're not individual baptisms, then it doesn't make sense. Uh, he he's not making an exclusive. There's one water baptism that's already been done, and nobody else needs to do it. Uh, he, he's talking about a distinction. He's using one in the way of distinction, uh, not a number uh, where you have to take the context. There's one body, yes. There's one spirit, yes. There's one hope of your calling, yes. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the, and the idea is, is in, in unity. He's talking, the context of chapter 4 is all about unity. Uh, there's not two baptisms, there's not two lords, there's not six bodies, there's one, and that baptism is to be done individually because that baptism then brings you uh, into, by identification, uh, 
really the, the family of God. You're in the family of God, now you're publicly identifying that. Uh, to, to interpret chapter 4, verse 4, or 5, as you don't need to be water baptized anymore, just isn't anywhere in the text. It just I don't know how you come to that conclusion. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I didn't come to that. No, not you, a person. No, but uh, I mean, what I always loved is Jesus led by example. He did it, and his father was pleased. I mean, it just all made sense to it me. Fulfilled, I, yeah, it fulfilled all right. I didn't know if there was a trend going that direction, or no. I, that's the actually that's the first I've ever heard. I've never I've never heard of anyone refusing water baptism. Interesting. Yeah, it disturbed me. <laughs> yes, I mean, the most the yeah. big question about water baptism. Uh, is the the whole issue of baptismal regeneration? Mm-hmm. Uh, does baptism save a person? Of course, the answer to that is no. No. A believer's sure. baptized. If an unbeliever's water baptized without faith, they're just getting wet. Yes. Right. Hey, well, thanks, thanks, David. A lot. I, that cut it right to me. Thanks. Perfect. Thanks. So, so let me add now, Keegan, the text question that came in, and the question was, "Do I have to be baptized in a church?" And the answer to, from you is, "No." Uh, can I go somewhere more private? Yes. And and what what if being what if going somewhere more private is because they're embarrassed to do it publicly? What would you say to someone like that? Well, that's uh, you know really the, the baptism is an outward declaration. So I think the you know Jesus says um, you know if you deny me before men, I'll, I'll deny you before the Father. And I would encourage a boldness. Uh, you know Romans one sixteen. I'm unashamed of the gospel for it yep. is the power of salvation, and and to receive that for myself. You know, and even was referenced with Jesus's baptism. You know, this was the, you know, declaring the spiritual to be more important than the physical. Yes. And the fear of man is a snare, but the fear of God leads to life. It Mm -hmm. leads to wisdom. You know, all the things that it tells us in Proverbs. So, um, you know, that fear, it's it's the fear of the Lord. What would stop me from wanting to be baptized in front of people? Well, it's, you know, what are people going to think and this? And, and, And as the Proverbs would say, the fear of man is a snare. So I would just encourage if that was the thought. Uh, I'd encourage take that step of boldness. You'll never forget it, and that'll just be one of part of uh, not just a part of your testimony um, before the Lord of, of, of His faithfulness in your life, because He'll give you the strength. So it really depends on what the motive is, because mm-hmm. um, in the day we used to only have one baptism a year out at the reservoir, and that was in the summertime, so that people during the year that wanted to get water baptized, we would just say, "Hey, wait for the baptism, wait for the reservoir," and then and then we began to have so many people respond to the gospel and want to be water baptized that we started with one of those water trough type baptismals in our sanctuary on Wednesday nights. We'd do a service, then we added two. Our next one, we're going to have three uh, baptismals. But before that, I remember we had a brother, Pastor Matt could probably help me because we did it in his house. Um, He got saved and he's like, I need to be baptized right now. Uh, I have cancer, and I don't know how long I'm going to be ba- how how long I'm going to be around. And and we're there at the after service on Wednesday. We're like, man, what are we going to do? Uh, what do we have here? You know, we only have showers in the building. We don't really have a place where we could collect water. I mean, I guess we could put them under the shower, and God would know. And then Matt said, no, I've got I've got a place in my house we could do it. And we're like, yeah. well, man, let's go to your house. Uh, and and we went over to it was Abraham. Thanks, Matt. Uh, we went over to to his house. It was more of a private thing, but not because he wanted it to be private. It was just what we had. Uh, and just like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, where's the water? Mm. And if there's like, if there's two feet of water, man, we'll lay you down and roll you over <laughs> in it. Uh, and, and really it just depends on the motive because it is a public thing. Um, Keegan's right. It's, it's the spiritual more than the physical and it's public. It's a public declaration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it just depends on why 
you want it to be private. But there's no there's no indication anywhere in the scriptures of where baptism needs to take place. Right. Um, there there's there's baptisms all over the place, uh, and and really um, there's no mention. Now, if I think off the top of my head, there's no mention of baptism being done in an official church building. I can't think of anything. I mean, I guess by the time they might have gathered in the first century, they might have had, but most of those were home churches. Yes. So yeah. they're it doing like it. Home, yeah. But it was public because, you know, in the Jordan River, uh, what, when um, which we do baptisms when we go to Israel, so we'll do a public one there, and that's a pretty dynamic time. Uh, a lot of people do symbolic baptisms there, which is pretty cool. And then... Um, you know, the, the baptism at the temple area probably happened in the little mikvah baths because that's another thing at the southern steps there. We'll walk through and you'll be able to see because you're going with us in February, right? Yes, looking forward you and to Tori it. are going. So uh, we're going to walk through on the side there and you'll see these little indentations of what are called mikvahs or little baptismals because baptism is not a Christian. Uh, it, it's not a Christian event. It was actually a Jewish event of writ of ritual washing before going up into the temple uh, and so for a, so for a Jewish person to identify publicly in water fully emerged they would go fully submerged and come out to identify as a believer is a huge huge event mm. uh, it is turning your back on everything in the past and looking forward losing everything you would lose everything right. um, so thanks for the follow-up that was a good question and a new quite a new insight I didn't know that churches would refuse to water baptize I don't understand if you're a pastor and you do that call us i'd love to hear why biblically i'd like to hear uh and dialogue if you don't baptize and you refuse water baptism on what basis um we'd love to talk to you about it 303-690-3000 debbie calling from aurora colorado debbie welcome to the program hey debbie are you still with us we might have lost you but call us back uh, you wanted some verses dealing with guilt, uh, as you um, may be feeling guilt over the loss of a loved one that had a problem with alcohol. The, the first verse that comes to mind is in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, I would start there, that, that uh, there's no need uh, nor is there any condemnation upon you. Uh, there, there's no condemnation, not only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, um, but because also you had no responsibility uh, for this poor person that was overcome by their alcohol consumption, their drunkenness, uh, and maybe that's how they... how they. This is also something that people feel uh, when it comes to suicide. Mm. It's one of the painful parts of suicide is that we... We all start processing and thinking we should have seen it. Uh, what did we? Um, what did we miss? Why didn't I say something? It's my fault, uh, and it's not your fault. Um, it, it's not your fault. Death is an inevitable part of life, unfortunately, and some people get to a place where either their sin overcomes them, like an alcoholic, or the the hopelessness that a person feels. I have two people uh, in my life recently that just experienced suicide. Uh, in a very close family, a mom and a daughter, and uh, just the weight of grief and guilt comes. Um, and, and another thing that's happening with many people that were in Las Vegas uh, around the time of the shooting recently, uh, and by the way, we have a couple people on the ground in Vegas ministering and serving. I was hoping to get an email back from them 
to give us an update on what is happening in their lives, but uh, I didn't didn't get anything back. So they must be busy out uh, at the memorial, just ministering and loving and serving. And <clears throat> and um, but one of the things that that many people that survived on uh, that that event in many ways they're they're having what's known as survivor guilt and asking questions like, well, what about me? And and why didn't it happen to me? And why the younger one? Or why the mom? Or and uh, these questions are very normal. Uh, they're very difficult to process as God develops our faith and our trust in him, but they're very normal. Uh, and, and if you're feeling them, just know that the Lord is, is near to you, uh, and, and he's going he, to heal this wound. Uh, and, and he's actively, as you come to him, already healing this wound. So, Debbie, if you want to call back, please do. Um, but we'll go back on to the next line is Carl calling from Littleton, Colorado. Carl, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you, Pastor Ed. So I had a question over a passage and attention I'm dealing when it comes to salvation and some things my church taught me about salvation and their doctrines and then kind of how their approach to it. Okay. Because uh, I am I also serve my youth uh, middle school ministry at my church. I lead the eighth graders in with you guys talking about that. I also would like to email if I can take advantage of your offer to, to get some discipleship, the discipleship packet. Um, yeah, email me. Yeah, you bet. Is, that is that is something that I, I sometimes struggle with. Is a lot of the kids have godly parents and who disciple them, but some of the other kids don't. And I, I feel like I'm I'm being called to a deeper relationship and discipleship with them to help them in their um, uh, life of the Lord. Um, but also, some I'm also uh, with Pastor Keegan there. Something I'm going to ask him uh, and ask you guys is some. I've been experiencing. So my brother, uh, he's uh, a missionary in Honduras teaching. He actually came and met you uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, came a few times to your church. Um, and so he, uh, kind of coincidence, and of course there's no coincidence with God, but with my our youth group, we were going through the uh, Gospel of John, and we we're trying to teach him some things of Gospel of John. And my brother is also uh, teaching some the same, same age group kids, 7th and 8th graders in Honduras. He's also trying to do Gospel of John with them. And both of us, with our kids, both of our groups, like, uh, my boys and his his group of boys and girls, have a lot of questions about eschatology, basically, about Revelation, book of Revelations mostly. And I've been wondering if, if with Pastor King, I know your church is also going through the Gospel of John, and I've been wondering if there's also uh, his, if he's had a lot of kids also having the same sort of movement of God where they're really concerned about the end times. Yeah. It seems like that's, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we do get, uh, you know, in question and answer particularly, uh, there's a lot of questions about revelation, uh, you know, and about uh, end times and are, are these things that we're seeing, are these, you know, pointing to the end times. So I think it is interesting because the kids, uh, it's definitely getting their attention for our youth. And, uh, you know, and I think it's one of the great things, uh, we, we had our refresh conference this, um, this past weekend, uh, well, it was down in, in at Rocky Mountain Calvary in the Springs, and, and something that Pastor Ed said there that really stood out to me, and it's something that I reference a lot when we think of eschatology and the study of end times. You know, tomorrow is past, and 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 uh, I'm sorry, yesterday is past. Excuse me, and tomorrow's not promised. So today is the day that we want to be faithful with, and that was something that that, that Pastor Ed reaffirmed uh, during that 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 conference, and I think. Uh, you know, it's one of the things I encourage the kids and anybody that, I mean, it's great. The, the study of end times, it's, it's very interesting and looking through those things. It, it's just 
you know, what is what is Christ calling me to today uh, is is really what I would encourage, particularly with the youth. And that's a lot of times I'll, I'll answer the question, but I always am, am, am careful to follow up with that. Um, what are you doing for, for the Lord today? Yeah, okay. All right, so yeah, it's just really interesting because it seems like that just seems to be something that's really going on with the youth. Is That's something they get really excited with God about. Like they wouldn't stop asking the questions about the Book of Revelations and uh, and times questions. Uh, have you considered teaching through the Bible, through the Book of Revelation, verse by verse, with them? Maybe a so, chapter a week. So the thing I I put together with my youth pastor, which has kind of been difficult because he's a millennialist, um, is I I've been wanting to put them. I put together a Bible study, take them through the Book of Daniel to begin Good. with, and then, and then from there go to Revelation. Um, just because I think the life of Daniel was something that's, it, it just feels like the Lord is telling me to, to do that in the sense to help them connect to someone in Scripture with their age and their time and the forces that they're up against in the world. And then through that, teaching them some of the end times prophecies in Daniel and then going from that to Revelation. Um, so, yeah, that was something I've, I've been working on, and I already got the um, yeah, two chapters thought out. Um, but you... now I'm working towards getting them to commit to doing a Bible study. Have you talked with your, your leader? Because from an all-millennial perspective, that usually means they take a very symbolic view of Revelation, like don't take it literal at all. Do you? Yeah. Have you talked I, to your pastor to make sure that you know he agrees or he will go do it with you? Because I doubt you sound like you view um, Revelation as literal. Yeah, I'm very much, um, yeah, take it very literally and, of course, take the language and the symbolic language and the figure of language into account. But, uh, um yeah, I mean that's some. We had a discussion about that, and he tried to convince me into amillennialism, and I, I, you know, I argued against it. We have a really good relationship, good. Um, and I, sh- I showed him. I put together a first part of the Daniel study, and I showed it to him, and he approved it. So he good. gave me the go ahead to study. So that's what, and that, that's I, that's a good relationship you have because you want to get his permission. Typically, uh, to the, the the those that hold to a loose amillennialism are open uh, to a more literal view, but. Uh, in order to remove all millennial, in, in order to remove Revelation 20, uh, you have to have a, a symbolic view of, of, of Revelation almost always. So I'm glad that you got his permission and that he gave it to you because um, that, that's a great relationship you have with him. Yeah. Okay, so, so what's your uh, last question? So, yeah, because I don't have much time here. I yep. have plenty to So with reading through uh, Luke chapter 12, 35 through... Uh, 48 today, and something I've been dealing with for a while now is intention inside me of, so my church teaches that with the gift of salvation, it was saved by grace alone and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But with that, once you receive the Holy Spirit, once you receive the good salvation, you can't, like, it's it's no longer, like, God now, Jesus now has you. Uh, your work of salvation is based off His work. You, you can't lose your salvation. Right. But, they, but they also say with that, that nothing you can do. So even if you were to walk away from God, nothing, you don't lose anything, like nothing's taken away. And right. you know, I'm reading verses like this, and I read other warnings in the New Testament. Like the verse in this parable, it says, uh, But if that servant says to himself, A master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces, put him with the unfaithful. And so like that all his warnings in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you don't do the will of my Father, then I don't know you. Go, you wait, get away from me, you non, um, non-believers, or uh, the, uh, you wicked uh, servants. Um, 
it's hard for me because whenever our church sees something like that, like I have friends of mine that went to the church, like went to my church, and they just walk away from the Lord. I want nothing to do with the way from the Lord. And their way of answering that is saying that, well, they were never true believers to begin with. They were never genuine believers to begin with. And that's hard because I know some people that really serve, they really love the Lord, they're really genuine with their faith. And perhaps they've just fallen away for a short time and will be back. Um, but I've really struggled with that sort of the, the, the warnings in the New Testament, all the warnings from Jesus, all the warnings from Paul, and you know, working on your salvation with fear and trembling, and all the warnings in Revelation when Jesus is led us to the churches um, to, to endure, to persevere. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. I, I, believe, I believe in eternal salvation uh, in, the, in the, every sense of that word eternal. I don't come to that conclusion from Calvinistic or a Reformed theology. I come to it from a biblical, um, a purely biblical insight, the nature of how God reveals his salvation. Uh, and, and I would come to a similar conclusion that if I see someone walking away, they're either a prodigal or they were never saved to begin with. And because I don't know the hearts of men, I don't need to come to any conclusion. Uh, if somebody's acting like an unbeliever, I'm going to evangelize them. If they're a believer acting like a prodigal, then I'm going to evangelize them and exhort them to come back. If you're a believer, uh, or you say you're a believer, I'm going to treat you like a believer. Uh, and because I don't know the hearts of men, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time really super concerned on where they are. I can only do. I can only um, really be uh, concerned about my own salvation. And you know, when Jesus talks about no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands, that's a pretty strong statement from Jesus about the the condition of your place in the Father's hands. And if you if you mention that in the email, I'll also send you my notes uh, to give you a, an idea of what um, Reformed theology calls the perseverance of the faith, although you have to have all five points or, or the system doesn't work. I know some people say three or four points, but it all has to be together. Um, and I'll give you, I, I go through that and, and come to the to conclusion of eternal uh, security, but based uh, not on a system of theology, but on scriptures. Okay. And I'm, I'm listening to you. That's probably where you're getting it from, uh, and and it'll give you another perspective. So so what about you know your friends who go? I know he was saved. Well, Hebrews describes a group of people that tasted the heavenly gift, looked like they were saved, act like they were saved, and bailed. Um, John chapter six shows people that are described as disciples leaving Jesus after he said something hard, uh, and and so while I don't believe a believer can lose his salvation, because let me ask you this. Uh, can you can you lose can you lose something that was given to you? Like materialistically, or just or? in general, like if you or let me ask it a different way: if you can lose your salvation, how many times can you be born again again? Oh, um, none. Yeah, I don't see the Bible teaching that anywhere. I don't see yeah. that the insecurity of the believer. I see, but but I do believe in the security of the believer and the insecurity of the unbeliever and yeah. the prodigal. So, um, Keegan, do you have anything to add to that? I, I think you nailed it. Ed. I think, especially, particularly with eternal, when you look at that word eternal, uh, and, and and even in I think you're referencing out of John uh, ten when Jesus says, "No one can snatch me." you know, out of my hands and that, and that they will have eternal life in, in eternal life. Uh, you know, there's nothing temporary about the word eternal. Right. And so I agree with that biblically. Yeah. You know, just as you look at, at scripture and the words that Jesus used, 
in reference to salvation. Okay, so with that text then, what what is the relationship of that servant and his master is and, and symbolically to a Christian in, in Christ? Well, there's a there's definitely a relationship to an unfaithful servant. Now, make make sure you understand the distinctions that that Jesus makes when he's teaching, when he uses the word son and he uses the word servant. And there's a blessedness of servants and their behavior determines the um, the relationship they have with their master. And then there's the, the servant that is unfaithful uh, and the consequences that that servant will be. Uh, so these servants definitely have different relationships with their masters based on their behavior. And I would pull back just a little bit and say, that's true. The people on earth have different relationships to God based on their behavior. Uh, and that it'll be sorted out at the end. Um, especially you know, in, a, in another place where, you know, haven't we done all these things in your name? Mm. And Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. So there's definitely a relational yeah. aspect that Jesus is looking for with those that follow him. Okay. That's so a brief, I mean, we could like exegete people, that. We could exegete okay, like 12. Who but, like were in a church and never really gave themselves to the Lord and were just using Christianity as a means to gain for themselves and yeah, I tell that I tell our fellowship all the time. You know, we we do call for an invitation, and we do give altar calls, what they're called, and and we do ask people to respond. But I remind them that standing, raising a hand, uh, walking to the stage, or even praying a prayer doesn't save you. Only God saves, and and the person that's the person that is in, in the raising the hand, standing, coming to the stage, they know whether they're saved or not. They know. And they know whether it's in him. I don't know. That's the problem. I don't know, but they know. And and that then I fall back to well, whatever I see is how I'm going to treat you with the word of God. Okay. All right, man. Thanks, bro. I right, thank you very much. Bye bye. All right, let's try to squeeze one more call in here. Uh, Keegan, this one's for you. Tyler, welcome to the program. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Hey, hey this is Titus, actually. Titus? Yes. Go ahead, Titus. Um, in Mark 5, it says that Jesus got off the boat and saw a man that possessed this legion, the one for many demons. Okay. And I was wondering that, is it like actually possible for us to have like 2,000 demons like possessing you at once? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, and even with legion, there's... Uh, you know, there's reference that that could be 6,000 plus, you know, but really the thought, I, I guess the, the true question is, Titus, or I guess the answer would be, as a believer, um, can you be demon possessed? I, and I would say no. If you have, if you were born again, when I say believer, if you were born again, you have uh, received Christ as your Savior. You know, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in him, that, that God raised him from the dead, and you believe that in your heart, you shall be saved. And then it's in that moment that you'd be filled with the Spirit. And, uh, and in that moment, no, you can't be uh, demon-possessed. But can an unbeliever uh, be possessed? And even uh, to the degree of someone that we see in Mark chapter 5, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we can Mark, uh, I'm sorry. Thanks, Titus. God bless you, bro. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, we're coming Bye. up on the break. Great, great question. Believers, uh, no. Unbelievers, man, you can open yourself to all kinds of weird mm -hmm. stuff. 
And, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol, that, that's yeah. one of the difficulties of making marijuana legal. You know, it's a gateway. It's, a, it's from the Greek word pharmakia, you know, the, the idea of witchcraft and drugs opening a gateway to the demonic realm. Uh, I know as an unbeliever, man, I was engaged with a lot of demons, man. I was involved in a lot of bad stuff. And, and wherever I was, the demonic realm was there uh, in a real way. And, and we were, so kids, if you're into, you know, your kid on the schoolyard, you know, they're doing weird stuff and wanting to get into dark things or Ouija boards or any of these. No, just say no and walk away. Don't even mess with it. Don't open yourself to it. Just walk away. Um, even if you're a believer, you know, just because you can't be possessed, you can be oppressed and the demons can mess with you. We got a text question, actually, too, that said, can demons read our minds? And the answer is? No. The answer is absolutely not. They have no way, but they're, just like the guys on TV, they're good with um, leading and bringing things out, mm-hmm. and they're, they're able to, knowing human behavior, how to mess with humans. So that's the uh, end of our show today. Thanks, Keegan, for being here today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, one quick answer. Baptism as a baby. Do I need to be rebaptized as an adult? Yes. Do it as a believer, as unto the Lord. Do it, do it, do it of your own accord as a believer. So please, I know we couldn't get to you, Ema, uh, but yes, be baptized. Uh, we're here tonight, 7 o'clock. We're praying together, communing together. There's youth ministry, middle school. We have youth ministry from nursery all the way through high school, uh, middle school, high school. We're in the book of Kings tonight, praying together, seeking the Lord together. So many of you will see tonight, calvaryaurora.org. For more information, doors open at 6 o'clock. God bless you guys. Have a great night in the Lord. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.